Welcome to the Royal Christian Centre Sermon Podcast. God reveals things that we otherwise would have no access to, primarily so that we would know him, so that we would know Jesus, and so that we would be able to follow him. And part of following Jesus is showing Jesus, it's revealing Jesus. And, you know, Lucy, when she was sharing why she's getting baptized, she talked about the love that she has for God. And of course, we know that we can respond to God in love because he first loves us. Yeah? So we can go way, 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 way back in time, can't we? And we can think, before Lucy was even here, before her normal family were even here. (laughs) That's going to stick. I'm sorry. I should let that go. Let that go. Let it go. God already loved you. And, um, and his heart was for you. And he had intended to bring about the means of your salvation. And that you would know his love. And then to respond in love to God is just the right thing to do. And it's a good thing to do. Isn't it good? Okay. We can baptize you. You agree. <laughs> you talked about the love that you know, has come into your life by the grace of God. But you said... You said, I want to see the world through Jesus' eyes, didn't you? All right. It's very powerful. Do you know what it is to see the world through Jesus' eyes? Okay. It's a big thing. When you see the world through Jesus' eyes, think about what those eyes uh, look like and what they went through. You see, there were regular occasions for Jesus when his eyes were filled with tears. Okay. And don't be afraid. It's all right. But he saw the world through tears because of love. And not just because of love, but because also he saw the world in a prophetic way. And he saw what could be. Not many people in our world can see what can be. They see what is, but they don't always see what can be. And you know, when you see what can be, and this is the work of the Spirit in our lives, when you see what can be, You start to feel a bit of a tension within you, okay? It's a bit like an elastic band, yeah? And God will never let that tension get so big that it snaps. Don't worry. But you feel that tension because you see what is, but you start to see what can be, all right? And it's those kind of eyes that, yeah, you, you get some tears because you long for the coming of the kingdom of God. You long for what can be. And and you know that it can. And you know that it can. And so tears come because you're so hungry and so desirous for what you know God can do because you're seeing it in a prophetic way and you are are so excited about what you believe God is doing but as well as Jesus' eyes being with with tears Jesus' eyes saw things really clearly yeah really clearly he knew exactly what was going on everywhere every time I'm sure you would like to know that but sorry that's not open to you But he knew where he was going. How do I know that? I know that in a couple of ways. See, in in the book of Hebrews, it describes the journey of Jesus. And it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he went through all of that. And he sat down at the right hand of his father in, in heaven in glory. He knew where he was going. He saw where he was going. He clearly pursued where he was going. 
You know, Jesus, he knew that that journey would take him to Jerusalem, it would take him to persecution, it would take him to trouble, but it would take him to the, the completion of this work that God had given to him. And such glory and such grace would be poured out because of his clarity. And everyone said to him, don't go to Jerusalem, it's just full of trouble. You know, just have an easy life. Have an easy life. But Jesus had a clarity of vision. And he said, I know why I'm here and I know where I'm going. And if, if you're sincere, and I believe you are, because I don't, think, I don't think you make stuff up. If you're sincere about seeing the world through Jesus' eyes, it's not always easy. It's not always comfortable. But it's glorious. It's glorious. You know, if you feel a certain tension coming within your spirit as you start to see the world through Jesus' eyes. That you've, not, you've not done it wrong, don't worry. It's, it's right. And it's the work of the Spirit of God in your life so that you see what he sees and you pursue what he pursues. And you, know, you may have tears in your eyes, but it ain't going to stop you knowing clearly where you're going. And you will get there in the name of Jesus. Amen. That's what it is to see as Jesus sees. This morning, we, um, we read a little bit of the story of Jesus calling one of the first disciples, a guy um, called Peter. And um, that, the story is a bit about what people saw. And it was a bit about what people saw in the moment, but what they saw that could be the, the future. And I would say to you, the Christian life is about honesty about what you see in the present. But it's also about prophecy it's about seeing what could be and seeking it with all your heart Jesus uh, when he was preaching what we call the sermon on the mount he invited people to see and to seek and he invited people to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness to just really pursue that with everything that we've got you know we can be honest about where we're at we can be honest about you know the good the bad and the ugly of where we're at. But come on, Christian, you're called not only simply to kind of see the present, you're called to seek the future. It's the Christian calling. See the present, seek the future. And when Jesus called this man, Peter, he'd been out fishing all night, but he hadn't caught a single thing, not a minnow, not a crab, not a, you know, moldy old boot out the bottom of the lake. He'd not caught a thing. Jesus saw what Peter could be and he sees your potential very, very well. And Jesus also saw what would be as Peter started to follow him. And so Jesus said to him, come on, having already just got in his boat, you know, because Jesus just does what he does. He said, put the boat out, put the boat out from the, the shore. This is just, this is too easy. Come on, let's put the boat out from the shore. Let's go out to the deep water. There's going to be a catch. It's going to be an incredible catch of fish. So many that it's just going to be incredible. And Peter responds, because he sees what is, honestly. He says, Master, we've been out all night toiling. We've been working hard, but we haven't caught anything. But at your word, we'll do it. We'll have a go. And so they go out. And as you read the story in Luke chapter 5, and um, you can perhaps read it for yourself sometime, they go out and they let down the nets. 
inconvenient. They'd already cleaned those nets, but they let them down. And an incredible haul of fish is found, so much so that they have to call to their friends um, on the shore, James and John, to bring their boat with their nets so that they can haul it all up together and put it in the boats. And there was so much of a catch that both boats seemed as though they were going to sink with all that had been caught. When you start to seek and to see uh, the future Uh, with God and and the miraculous starts to come according to your obedience then it's not just for you it's not just for you I know some of you here this evening you've come because you heard Lucy was being baptized and you thought I'm going to be there yeah and tonight it's not just for Lucy it's become for others of you who are here because of that invitation but that's the way in the Christian life it was the way for Peter with his incredible catch of fish that they said, it's not just for me. Let's call the others so that they can come and be a part of this. They need to be a part of this. They need to experience this. They need to have a bit of this future. You know, have you ever found anything incredibly good in life? Yeah? Something that you really enjoy. Uh, you want to talk about it, don't you? You want to share it. Or maybe you don't. Maybe you just want to keep it quiet so you get more of it for yourself. I saw somebody on Facebook just recently and they they posted a picture of a bag of pretzel pieces. What were they flavoured, Jeff? What was it? Honey mustard pretzel pieces. And Jeff posted this on Facebook and I, I said a little prayer of thanks for Jeff in that moment. Because before I did not know about honey mustard pretzel pieces, but now I do. And my life is materially better. I haven't even tasted them yet. I've not had any. I just know it's going to be good. You know, when you see and you seek the future, the future is honey mustard pretzel pieces. When you see and you seek it, it's right for you to want to share this. This is the Christian way. The future for the Christian, the future for us is incredibly bright. It's great. I've done a lot of traveling this week one way or another and I knew I was going to be on a train for a while and so I thought, oh, I'll go get a magazine or something. I haven't bought a magazine in I don't know how long. But I went and um, being the, just frankly, ridiculously dull human being that I am, I went and I, I bought a copy of what is called The Economist Year in 2018. Yeah. You want to sit with me on a train, don't you? That's right. It's, it's, it's actually my strategy so no one comes and sits next to me and I can spread out. No, not really. But I thought, that's interesting. All of these wise and educated people, they're going to tell me what the, the year in 2018 is going to look like. I'll have a read of that. And so I paid my... I'm really sorry, Erin. I paid £10. I know. It's, they say confession is good for the soul, don't they? I didn't realise until I went to pay for it. And then I felt embarrassed not to. Um, I'm sorry about that. I didn't think it was that bad until they all reacted like that. I thought it was, I thought it was bad. but And I opened it up. I read some of the, the titles of the articles. I thought, this is amazing. They know everything about everything. And then I opened it up and I started to read through it. And I discovered that they knew nothing about anything. Yeah. I need that tenner back, don't I? I should write to them. I'm sorry. On the plus side, my train was delayed by half an hour, so I can get a refund on that. So 
I'm really sorry. <laughs> uh, they, they said things in this, um, in this, uh, in this magazine about... They, they said that, that incredible insights, like, Brexit is going to be difficult. Honestly. <laughs> this is the, and they said stuff like, Trump is not going to play nice with the rest of the world. And I thought, plumbing heck, I know that. They said North Korea is going to be a bit daft. And I thought, come on, come on. I could have, give me a tenner. And I'll tell you the future. Daft, nonsense. We can find wisdom for the future in the Bible, at least for those who want to follow Jesus. We can know what it might look like, what it looks like to leave the whole world, everything behind for the sake of serving Jesus. This guy, Peter, he was called by Jesus. It took a moment of obedience, simple obedience to the first call. Push your boat out. Let's go fishing. Even though all the evidence was to the contrary, it took a moment of obedience. And the miracle came. And then came the greater call. And the greater call we find in Luke 5 and verse 11. And it says that when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. You know, why was that? Because Jesus had said to them in verse 10, don't be afraid. From now on, it's the vision of the future. You will be catching men. Now that sounds a bit odd. Bringing people into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Welcoming people into new life with God. This is a vision of the future with Jesus. And I wonder this evening, who wants a piece of that future? You know, to move into the future with Jesus, to start to see as Jesus sees, as you said, Lucy, and, and then to get about his business, there comes a need for us to recognize in the here and now that we desperately need Jesus. Peter was there in the boat with Jesus, and he knew that he couldn't catch fish on his own. But then when this miraculous haul comes in, he knows that something really remarkable is happening here. When you meet with Jesus, I would suggest to you, you know that something remarkable is happening. And when this miracle starts to happen, verse 8 of that story, Simon Peter saw this and he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And goes on to say, for all, he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. When you encounter Jesus, you know, when you encounter him in all of his holiness, in all of his majesty, in all of his miracle-working power, in all of his absolute incredible wonder, and I would suggest to you, the only way you encounter him like that is if you will be obedient in the first place. But if you're obedient and you encounter Jesus like this, there's a couple of ways that you can respond. You can respond to the wonder of Jesus a bit like Peter did. Well, why did he say, depart from me, Jesus? Did he want an easy life? Did he, did, he, did he say, please go, Jesus, because he didn't really want to get involved in the mission of God? I don't think that's what's happening here. I think when we read about their astonishment, when we read Peter's response talking about his own place of sinfulness, what we're hearing here is a man who recognizes that he is being called by the very king of the kingdom to get involved with kingdom business. 
I would suggest to you that if you went home tonight and you settled down at your house with your cup of Horlicks and in your big fluffy slippers and then the phone rang and on the other end of the phone was the Queen. Yeah? Well, you think it was a prank to start off with, but if it was genuinely the Queen, you'd be a bit like, oh my goodness, wouldn't you? You'd probably, you'd probably be like, oh, can I even speak to her with my fluffy slippers on? Should I, should I go and dress a bit better? I don't know. You'd respond according to the status, the stature of the person that you were talking with. Peter is invited to see something of the glory of Jesus. He's going to see a lot more along the journey. You know, there's going to come a time a little ways on. This is the future for Peter. He's going to be up a mountain with, Peter, uh, with Jesus and with his two fishing buddies, James and John. And they're going to be up there on a mountain. And there's going to be a thing we call the transfiguration where Jesus, who they thought somehow, and they're wrestling with the sense of it, but they, they reckon he's just a, a bloke. He's a man. He's wonderful. He's a prophet. But isn't he just a man? But then in the moment, God is going to reveal the full glory of Jesus Christ, who is God himself, eternal. Come into this moment, this time, and this place. Peter's going to see the glory of Jesus. He's going to be astounded then. So astounded that he just he gets a bit daft and a bit crazy. Peter's going to see more and more of the revelation of Jesus. But he starts here with a simple moment of obedience. He starts and he sees the glory of God. And he knows that he personally is in desperate need. I want to challenge you this evening. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, when was the last time that through simple obedience you saw the holiness of God and you realized your desperate need of him? When was the last time that that was true for you? Uh, there may be a number of things here. Are we simply obedient to God when he calls us? Because if we're not simply obedient, then I would suggest we probably haven't seen the holiness and the glory of God as we ought. But even when we do see the holiness and the glory of God, are we responding and saying, God, on my knees I need you. I am desperate for your coming. I am desperate for your working. I am desperate for your wisdom. I am desperate for your ways. There was another occasion, you can find it in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 8. And on that occasion, Jesus was doing the incredible stuff that Jesus did. And he came around some evil spirits and he cast them out. And they went into, of all things, a pile of pigs and they ran down into the lake. It does make you think, doesn't it, you know, when they went fishing in the lake, what would they find exactly? It's, kind of like, it's like, these pigs, what is this? Um, funny fish, but anyhow. And Jesus did this incredible miracle. But there comes this tragic moment in that story. For they saw the future. They saw the glory of God revealed in the workings of this Jesus, this incredible Jesus. And do you know what they said to Jesus? They said, when they came, the city came out to meet Jesus, Matthew 8, verse 34. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. And they're not saying to Jesus, I know I'm sinful and I need you. They're not on their knees, coming out like a mob from the city. They're not on their knees like Peter was saying, 
Oh, in this moment of obedience, your glory's been revealed and I am desperately in need of you. They're not like Peter. They're just saying, oh, would you go? I want a quiet life. I want to just go on with my religion. I want to take it easy. I want things to be back how they were. Let the evil stuff do what the evil stuff wants to do. I've lost my pigs. It's that ridiculous. You know, tonight we've been invited into the future. I would suggest to you, we spend far too much time attending to our comfort, coming to Jesus and saying, even when we've seen something of his glory, oh, would you go and leave us in peace? Not enough time like Peter did. Seeing the glory of God through simple trust and getting to our knees and saying, I'm not good enough, but you are so glorious. Where's your response this evening? There are a couple of ways ahead for you into the future. And if you will say to Jesus tonight, I know you're glorious, but I'd rather have an easy life. The way of Peter is the way that we're being invited into this evening. It's through simple obedience to say, I know you're glorious and I will humbly come before you. And though it costs me everything, I will follow you faithfully. There's some courage required of us this evening to walk the way of the future, to walk the way of the disciple. I was reading a book by a man named Max Lucado and he talked about the courage needed to face the future as exemplified by Martin Luther King Jr. And he put it like this, he said, courage emerges not from increased police security but from enhanced spiritual maturity. These days of violence call for people of faith. People of fear make poor decisions. They overreact, lash out, or maybe retreat. People of courage, on the other hand, keep a cool head. They are not blind to, nor bewildered by the evil in the world. Martin Luther King exemplified this courage. He chose not to fear those who meant him harm. On April the 3rd, 1968, he spent hours in a plane waiting on the tarmac due to bomb threats. When he arrived in Memphis later that day, he was tired and hungry, but not afraid. When he appeared before the crowd, he told them, we've got some difficult days ahead. There's a vision of the future. <laughs> We've got some difficult days ahead. But it doesn't matter to me now, he went on, because I've been to the mountaintop, and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up the mountain, and I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land, and I'm happy tonight I'm not worried about anything I'm not fearing any man mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord do you know Martin Luther King Jr. would be dead in less than 24 hours after he said those words 
But the people who meant him harm felt short in their goal. They took his breath, but they didn't take his soul. They didn't take his dream. They didn't take his passion. They didn't take his purpose. And these things lived on far, far beyond him. We sing a song, don't we? It's your breath in my lungs. So I'll pour out my praise. Pour out my praise. And it gets me to give thanks to God for the breath that he puts into my lungs. But you know, I was singing that song this week. Not just me in the shower, but you know, with other people. And we were singing that song and I got to thanking God. It was a very strange experience because I got to thanking God not only that he is putting breath in my lungs. But I thank God for the fact that there will come a day when he stops. When I breathe in and I breathe out and I won't breathe in again. And it will be my last. And I was thanking God for two reasons. Neither of them is that I'm weird. (laughs) You were wondering, weren't you? Tell the truth. The first reason was because When I breathe my last, I know that to be absent from this body means that I will be present with Jesus, which is far better. And I long for that. But I thanked him for another reason. Because I know that one of these breaths is going to be my last, and I don't know which, and neither do you. It gives me such focus. It gives me such a reason to be purposeful with my life. And you know, Lucy, you've got thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of breaths ahead of you. That's good news for you tonight, isn't it? Make them purposeful. Because we each have a finite amount of time. And I know I will breathe in my last. When that's the case and I go to be with Jesus, I want it to be true. That I have seen what is happening now. I've seen the future, seen the promised land, seen what God is doing, seen where God is calling me. And I have sought it. I have gone about it with everything that I have. I don't want to come to the end of my days and think, I have wasted so many of those breaths of the past in pursuit of God alone knows what. I want to say that my life has been about the purposeful pursuit of the things of the kingdom of God. I hope that would be true for you also. You're going to come into the tank now and they're going to say, take a deep breath and you're going to wonder what's happening, aren't you? (laughs) We're here this evening and it's good that we are. It's good for us to celebrate the work of God in one person's life. By God's grace that each and every one of us might have the work of God afresh and new and sparking and spiraling upwards within our lives also. But what is happening tonight in one, please God in each, needs to be happening through us in many, many more. In many, many more. said this morning the church is pretty simple really it's just about having people who genuinely love God genuinely love each other and go about sharing that good news with other people you know we 
we do pretty well at numbers one and two. Number three, oh, a bit of a challenge. I think you did it really well tonight. I do. There was a man named uh, C.S. Lewis. You probably know him. And uh, people think that of the 20th century, he was the person who perhaps best explained the Christian faith. But on one occasion, he said, will you stop concentrating on me? Stop focusing on me. He said this, people praise me as a translator. He meant that he makes plain the Christian faith. He said, people praise me as a translator, but what I want is to be the founder of a school of translation. He said, I am nearly 47. Where are my successors? 47 sounds pretty young, doesn't it? But he was already saying, who's coming on behind me? Come on, Lucy. You're 15. Come on. Who are you raising up behind you? Come on, seriously. You can do it. You can do it. Where are your successors? Anyone can learn to do it if they wish, C.S. Lewis said. I feel I'm talking rather like a tutor, forgive me, but it is just a technique and I am desperately anxious to see it widely learned. He wanted others to come on after. Peter is out in the boat and do you know what? He didn't perhaps know what he was doing. Maybe he was just desperate. He said, James, John, get in here. Come and do this with me. And they started. And you know, James and John didn't stop either. They followed Jesus just as closely as Peter did. And they got in it. Who are you calling to join you in this? Much, much later in the life of Peter, oh my word, what a life it was. What a life it was. But much later in his life, he wrote about what it was that he desperately wanted to see amongst the people of God. And in the second letter that he wrote, he said this, 2 Peter 3. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Saviour through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Do we see that in our world? Of course we do. Verse 4, they will say, where is the promise of Jesus coming? They'll say, you know, you've got the future wrong. It ain't happening. You're nonsense talkers. You're all messed up. Where is his coming? And Peter goes on for, ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago. The earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. What you see now is not what is always going to be. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come, like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up. 
and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved? And the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. The Bible teaches us it plainly. And you know, if if you're following after Jesus, you feel the tension. Because you, just like Peter, are waiting for the new heaven and the new earth wherein dwells righteousness. The work that God is doing in your life makes you long for his coming. Because you know that things need to be better than this. And you know that they will be. What then should we do? What is the future for us? In lives of holiness and godliness there's no short circuit to the future there's no little cluedo subterranean pass between the study and the conservatory you can't get to the future by any other way lives of holiness and godliness but here's the great promise of the life of Peter he got into that boat that day he lugged over his nets and he put out into the sea, into the lake. And he put those nets down and the miracle started and he, he knew that this was what it was. They followed Jesus faithfully all the days of his life and here he is talking about and he says, waiting for and hastening the day of his coming. This is the future. This is the future. Tonight, there is an invitation for you to be patient, even as Jesus is patient. Do you know, he wants to get everyone. He loves everybody. But you get to bring the future into the now. You get to hasten his coming. Jesus is coming again. And if you, like me, say, oh, God, that you would come tonight. It's all right. We will baptize you first, Lucy. If you say, oh, God, would would you come tomorrow? You can bring the future into the now. You know, you live a holy life. You share the good news of Christ Jesus. You get into your boat and push it out there and do what Jesus tells you. And I tell you what, Jesus will come much quicker than otherwise. The Bible says it. Waiting for and hastening the day of his coming. I would suggest to you this evening, I would urge you this evening, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, would you ask yourself tonight and then would you live the answer tomorrow, what am I doing to hasten the coming of Jesus? Is my life holy? Are my words full of his grace? Am I telling people of Jesus? Am I pushing my boat out in faith? You can hasten the coming of Christ Jesus. And we can start it tonight. We can start it tonight. Lucy's called us into the future. I know by God's grace that he will enable you to do everything that is upon your heart in him. I wonder, will anyone else join? Will you hasten the coming of King Jesus? Does anybody want to do this? Shall we pray? And the worship team perhaps can come and lead us in a song as we prepare to baptize.
Oh, Christ Jesus. I hate waiting. I'm rubbish at it. Lord Jesus Christ, I do want to thank you this evening that you're patient. You don't want any of us to perish in our sin. You want everyone to come to repentance. I'm inspired by the response of Peter to your glory. That he knew his need of you, but he wanted you. He didn't want you out of the boat. He just, uh, he just knew that he was desperately, desperately in need of your forgiveness and your grace. God, that we would be so this evening. Lord Jesus Christ, as we respond to you rightly, as we follow your example of, of patiently seeing and seeking the future, your kingdom come, the glory of God is wondrous. Lord Jesus Christ, that we would hasten your coming. Lord Jesus, if we've come here tonight and we're not living right with you, if we're not living holy lives, would you cut us to the quick? Lord Jesus, would you not send us away condemned, but would you call us up convicted that we would live holier lives, that we would be more devoted to you, doubly so, a thousand times so. If we've come here this evening and we have no intention of sharing the, the good news of life in Christ Jesus, oh God, would you rebuke and correct us this evening? You want everybody to come to you and you call us to be a part. Lord Jesus, if I may make so bold as to take another person's prayer, that I would see this world as you do, Jesus. That each and every one of us would. Because if we could see this world as you see it, Lord Jesus Christ, I believe that we would be desperate to haste your coming. To haste your coming to our street. To hasten your coming to our home. To hasten your coming to our classrooms and our schools and our colleges and universities. To hasten your coming to our places of work, our schools and offices, our shops, our gyms, our hospitals, our factories, wherever we are. To hasten your coming, Lord Jesus. This is what you hold open to us. To all who will believe. To those who will obey. To people of simple trust. Lord Jesus, let us be those people. Let us be those people.